Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. One of the things we look for in topics or stories or interviews is if we can find something where, in a very minor way, once you've heard this interview, an experience you're used to having, you'll get to have in a different way. Like, you'll know a little bit more, you'll have different questions, something might be funny to you that wouldn't have been funny. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. It was a lot of fun having PJ vote into the studio. PJ is a recognizable figure in the world of public radio and podcasting. He's currently the host of one of my favorite shows around, Search Engine, and we talk about his recent food-related episodes digging into sushi fraud and airline coffee. We also chop it up about so many topics in food, including his ongoing coffee journey. Man, PJ, I am proud of you. What a great talk. I hope you enjoy it. PJ Vote, welcome to This Is Taste. Thank you for having me. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. It is the first uh, snowy day in New York City in, I think, two years. I know. it's People aren't in the office today, so we're timestamping. It'll probably be 95 degrees somewhere in New York when we r- run this. That sounds really <laughs> wonderful. I don't like winter. I dread winter, and the idea that there's a future is something that I forget, so it's nice <laughs> to think that this could exist in a future. I wanted to have you in. Um, your voice is very recognizable to many of our listeners. You, you've you've done many podcasts. You worked at companies. You, we will get into the business later on. This is not a media. This is not Peter Kafka talking about media. But we will get to that at some point. But I want to just start by what's good in New York right now, restaurant wise. What are you liking? Oh, so I live in Red Hook, Brooklyn, um, where we were blessed. Not too long ago with Cafe Spaghetti, which I really love. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the best restaurant with the silliest name. And then they opened another restaurant, Swoonies. And I kind of just go between those two as the like restaurant that I am most excited to be at in Brooklyn right now. They're also very, very close. But they're wonderful. They're like, I don't know. It's... Um, Cafe Spaghetti is just like really, really good pasta and it feels, it's like a nicer higher end place, but it doesn't feel scary or pretentious. It feels yeah, like yeah. a neighborhood spot. I love that uh, articulation because it's it definitely, a lot of places are scary and pretentious. In yes. Right now. And I'm, I, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to enjoy myself at like the highest end. I feel too aware that I might be enjoying things wrong to enjoy them freely yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And like Cafe Spaghetti is not a place like that. No, definitely agree. Now, what, what's the what's the Red Hook Tavern burger ch- a check right now? What, give us a checkpoint. Uh, I think the burger's quite good. Um, okay. Red Hook Tavern is like, I say I'm in Red Hook. I'm technically in Columbia Street Waterfront, which is a neighborhood that no one like, doesn't <laughs> exist. It's like, a, it's like a comma of a neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> Proper Red Hook. I really like Red Hook Tavern. The burger's very good. Um... 
I I never remember to make reservations there, so yeah. I always end up. There's this one little corner they'll put you in by the door if you're desperate. Oh, I love that corner. I know that one. It's very drafty. <laughs> it's so drafty. It's super drafty. Yeah. I was there with two friends the other day, and like we were like balancing plates on our laps, <laughs> but it was still enjoyable. Yeah, it was still a good experience. So I've gleaned from the show, uh, and we'll talk about the sushi episode, which I'll link to in the show notes. Which is wonderful journalism, and we'll get into it. without spoiling. I don't want any spoilers in this conversation because. Got to listen to your episode, um, but I've mean, gleaned you work down in Wall Street. So, what's the lunch like in the search engine office? Are you guys doing like group lunches? What's the deal? Okay, so I didn't understand before I started working on Wall Street that I, in my head, I've lived in New York for uh, I think over fifteen years now, but I didn't spend any time on Wall Street, and I thought it was still like the 80s and there's like <laughs> bankers with like yeah. giant ties whatever they've all left they're in midtown so wall street is kind of a ghostly neighborhood there's not a lot of options or if there are i haven't found them i go to subway a lot yeah i go to subway like a lot a lot like i eat a lot of half-sized subway sandwiches for lunch there is a Xi'an famous food which is pretty good oh Xi'an is but you can't do you can't do the lamb burger like five days a week no That's exactly awesome. it's like a special occasion yeah. and afterwards i can't work for two and a half hours <laughs> or i'm just like <laughs> digesting um is it pronounced shin uh, Xi'an, like the Xi'an. province in China. That's, that's, uh, yeah, Xi'an. I should say there's a Xi'an famous food. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's a Whole Foods, uh, where I'll just oh. like go for the salad bar. Yeah, right on. Um, but there's like a lot of places, I don't want to like denigrate any establishments, but there's a lot of those sort of, those restaurants where you're just like, who goes here? Like they're sort of like, they're kind of expensive and touristy. They're not particularly wonderful. They get foot traffic, but like. You, just sort of the mid-towny whatever feeling diner that isn't hasn't been there for a million years, and you're like, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like the spot you would totally adore. There's like a lot of that, so it's it's tricky. Um, the thing I've been doing recently when I really really want to treat myself is getting a full Joe's pizza to the office and just yeah. splitting it with the team, yeah. um, which has been really good. No, Joe's is slept on. You see the lines in Midtown, you're like, oh man, Joe's is a tourist trap. It's still good. I think it's still really P good. It, Joe's pizza is good. Now back to Subway. Yeah. Okay. Are you doing seafood? seafood I'm company? not doing the seafood at Subway. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll, yeah. All right. I was I, like, if you did the seafood <laughs> at Subway after that sushi story. <laughs> no, and actually someone did, for the times at some point, someone had questions about their seafood and tested it. I can't yeah. remember what they found, but the fact that it was worth testing scares me off. Of yeah, me. I think it was a pre-Christian story. It sounds, yeah, that, that was that was definitely, they're questioning if it was real crab, if it was artificial crab, yes. Pollock, if it was, but what do you, what's your order then at Subway? I have a few orders. Uh, I do the, the buffalo chicken uh, sandwich on the flatbread, which I think is pretty good. Um, I do the meatball sub, mm -hmm. which I would defend. Yeah. And then they have an Italian sub, which I feel like I should stop ordering because I really, really love an Italian sandwich. And yeah. I don't think they're killing it there. Like, I think you want... <laughs> they're not crushing it at Subway. They're not crushing it at they're, Subway. They're not, it's not like DeFonte's or... Oh, my yeah. God. I go to DeFonte's a lot. I go uh, to DeFonte's, like, alone on a Saturday morning a lot. PG, you're a sub guy. I'm a sub guy. I'm yeah. a, I would say my favorite... Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, cool. Where there's, like, a lot of hoagies, we call them. Um, but, like, it is an enormous Italian role sandwich culture um and that is still the thing that makes me happy what do you think about john's roast pork i really like it um i'm like kind of in the cheesesteak wars i'm like a non-combatant like i'll eat up and down like really great cheesesteaks really not great cheesesteaks i think john's is 
Very good though. I've I've gone back with my partner a bunch of times to Philly and tried to go to John's every time and every time it's been closed. <laughs> and like we went um it's rough. We went around Christmas and we like drove downtown because I'm in the suburbs and uh yeah, it's been disappointing. But John's is really good. John's I mean, is great, but I mean, like spoken like a true Philly knit local, you you don't talk about cheesesteaks. No, 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 Come no, on. no, no. Yeah. No way. Yeah. No way. All right. A few more like introductory questions. I wanna know about your breakfast routine. I feel like you have one. Do you have like a, a coffee breakfast practice? I have. So, okay. For a long time, what I was doing was the Nespresso pods, yeah, um, which was fine and was working okay for me. And then my friend Califa Sane, who's a writer and is like a really devout coffee person, has been slowly trying to radicalize me towards enjoying coffee. Oh, man. Yeah. You sound like most guests on the show what? and me trying to radicalize them. Oh, interesting. So most people are more like me. Most people are like you. It's a micro theme on our show, but we definitely, we try to like get into it because you should buy a fucking digital scale and weigh your coffee. Okay, so I will tell you about my week this week. I bought, so last, today's Tuesday? Yeah. Um, Saturday, me and Kay went to three different coffee shops in Bushwick. Mm. We went to Say. Oh, yeah. I was on the, the subscription for Say for about 18 months. It's a good spot. He's but, on the subscription, he told me. Yeah. So we went to... We went to Dayglow, Loveless, yeah. and Say. Oh my gosh, you you didn't go to Drip. Is Drip? Does that? That's my guy in Bushwick. If I'm going to go there, but I do like Dayglow and and Say. You did all right. Okay, he's trying to help me develop an appreciation for coffee so that I can enjoy coffee more, so that I can make better coffee. And I'm like, it's not like I'm being dragged into this. Like I've expressed curiosity, and now we are following the curiosity. <laughs> but we had like yeah. three different cups. I like rated the cups. He was like trying to. The, fun, the thing I noticed most, the difference between being kind of an idiot versus him being a connoisseur, is that we would have coffee, he would have a sip and immediately be able to characterize, you know, this has like whiny nose or this, whatever. For me, the first sip of coffee is just hot. Uh, yeah, like, right. It just tasted <laughs> yeah. hot. Which and is it, a, po a positive response Well, if it versus were, not hot. Not hot would be worse. <laughs> but I don't know how coffee people can taste the first sip. We're going to get to some food questions. I feel like <laughs> if you can do a coffee episode on, on Search Engine, you're going to really, 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 really re not regret it. I think we will because he's been just teaching. Like, I like the feeling. One of the things that we try to do with the show or one of the things we look for in topics or stories or interviews is if we can find something where in a very minor way, once you've heard this interview, you'll – an experience you're used to having, you'll get to have in a different way. Like mm -hmm. you'll know a little bit more. You'll have different questions. Something might be funny to you that wouldn't have been funny. And my experience of drinking coffee with Kay is that like he was telling me about Batch Brew. Yeah. And how Batch Brew is sort of a retronym. Like you didn't need to have a name for Batch Brew until recently, but now you do. And like just yeah. that feeling of like you're in a place you've always been in, but now you're noticing it differently is an experience I chase in the world. And when I feel like I'm learning about it, subject area in that way i'm trying to figure out like what's the entry point where this could be an episode yeah your, your curiosity definitely shines through in the in the episodes and just to, to put a to put a period on the coffee talk yeah batch brew is a retronym it's a good call because now we've got hand brewing we've got forced pressurized coffee called espresso we've got you know lots of different ways to make coffee and i think pj if you can get into that hand brewing and start tasting like natural coffees versus washed coffees yes go yes. there go there well so i bought <laughs> I'm like, I don't, it's like my coffee budget is already spiraling. Yeah. I bought a digital scale. No. Nah, I bought, nice. um, 
what's it called? The the really nice grinder. Uh, oh, you bought a, a Barazza? Uh, no, higher, higher. Oh, I got a. Oh God, it's coming today. Because like the Barazza is the one I use, uh, the Encore. I told him I was going to get an Encore, and he pushed me off of it. My gosh. Well, he told me to get Encore is expensive. So what do you, you went more? Yeah, it was All worse. Right. He told me to get a a fellow Gen Two Ode Brew grinder. No comment. <clears throat> oh wow! No comment. Uh, I, it's, <laughs> it's 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 okay. <laughs> but it's so funny. It's funny to be the newbie in a space and to to understand that you're like, kind of like, just like sashaying between like low stakes civil wars, but not even <laughs> have the level of appreciation. Like I told him, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I got like a a, a technivorm, like the Mocha Master. Yeah. Silence. It was just like silence. He was like, I think you should start with the French press and then we, we'll talk about what I think that, that I, I'm not against a mocha. I, I think that um, there's many ways to brew coffee and, and there really isn't like a preferred method. But um, tell me about that, uh, the fellow. We'll, 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 go, we'll regroup later. Okay, on. yeah, it's coming today. If it's a mistake, it's an expensive one. Yeah, but but really, when it comes to talks about coffee budget, and it, God, man, my listeners are going to understand this more and more, but you uh it's a small luxury in life right it's yes. it's not that expensive when you look at the relative prices like, no that was actually so we were at dayglow yeah. and we were looking at really expensive beans and then Kay was just running me through the math where i think the most expensive beans if you actually you know divided the price by the blah, blah 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 this many cups he was like mm -hmm. if you spend the most amount of money you could here Every morning you'll have a four dollar cup of coffee. Agree. Right. And, and I like a world where luxury does stop there. You know what I mean? And and the other thing I like, I'm not really I appreciate food, but not at the level that probably a normal guest on this show does. But what I do appreciate is this feeling of getting to run experiments on what you like and perfecting what you like. Mm -hmm. And coffee is such a in a way, the extraction process is so simple that for me it has the potential to lock into something I can obsess over. Absolutely. It's, it's literal math. I mean, you can, if you have a unified extraction process, a ratio, and use the same type of water, and use the same temperature, and the same grind with the same grinder, you're going to taste the difference in yeah. all the different coffees you're getting. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's affordable luxury. I mean, it's like $4 a cup for, like, the best of something in the world. It's yes. It's incredible. Um Okay, let's move on because I feel like search engine taps into our biggest questions. We'll get to sushi, we'll get to airline coffee, but I want to know like what's on your whiteboard right now, food wise questions. I I love to like tap into what you're thinking about. Yeah. So is this? Do you want to know questions? So the best part of this job for me right now is that I get. I don't really use social media very much, but I get in place of it. What I have is an open email inbox that goes to my phone for the show where listeners are just constantly emailing me like the things that are bothering them in the shower or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I have listener questions that aren't things we're actively pursuing, but that are, I'm curious about. There's some food things that we are actively pursuing. Like, what do you want to know about? Oh, I just want, I mean, we're not going to spoil any big, big, sh big stories, but like thematic, like, you know, are you thinking about like the future of the grocery store? Are you thinking uh, about? I, I don't want. Yeah, I just don't want. I don't want to like spoil any of the show. I mean, listen to Search Engine; it's a beautiful show. But what well, do you what think? I can tell you, the this will have come out by the time this airs because the the next two weeks is like a minor food episode, which is about um, we, we're trying to solve the mystery of why in New York City and really any large city, why are there so many chicken bones on the street in like on the sidewalk? <laughs> wow. 
which turned out to be a very rich mystery that we have solved. We set up surveillance cameras. We have answers. They are not the answers that anyone yeah. has spoken to as guests. It's like kind of surprising. But also for that, the the reporters who did this story, it wasn't me, um, they gave us a, a, a pocket history of the chicken. And I had not known the chicken's like many thousand year history in relation to human beings. So that's one. One that I want to pursue that I don't know if we're going to pursue is um, why do we breakfast food for breakfast in America? Yeah. Like why, how did we settle on like something kind of starchy and eggs and usually bacon? Yeah. Uh, which is like a story. Um, there's like a, there's a moment in American history where people who want that to be the case push for it. But like we haven't found the interview that would tell the story. Mm-hmm. There's another one I want to do. God, I really shouldn't. Whatever, it's fine. I'm trying to get, do you know Toby Ciccini? Yeah, of course. I'm he, trying to get him on the show. Yeah, you probably go to Long Island Bar. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. and the guy invented the Cosmo. And have you read his memoir about the Cosmo? I've read pieces of him and met him a few times, but never had him on the show. Yeah. He's just an unusual, I find his memoir, when we were piloting Search Engine, um, I was reading his memoir. A friend of mine recommended it, and I really loved it. He's such a, for someone who's so successful in the restaurant industry, to also be such a talented writer, I feel like is very rare. Mm-hmm. And so he has all these descriptions of what it was like to be kind of a like hipster bartender in New York in the 90s and aughts. And it just, he really paints the scene really well. Yeah. And so I've been trying to find, the other way we'll think about episodes is just like, you like this person, you want to tell their story, what's the question that would allow, yeah. give a listener permission to listen to it? Yeah. So we might have him on, it might be as simple as like, how do you make a Cosmo? We're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, cause also it's so funny that he's like such a like cool hipster and then he invents his cocktail or perfects his cocktail or whatever. I know there's like, and then sex in the city happens. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> sex in the city happens. And it's like this like cool cocktail becomes the least cool cocktail. Yes. And you're, but it's like, you know, people's creations have a way of having lives beyond their intention. And I think mm-hmm. that's really funny. I love that about the show. It really is an interview show in many ways. And I think many of the critics you've written about your show recognize that, that you're, you're having these great conversations with characters and you're, you're kind of backing into these, these answers, which love the show. And I, let's talk about sushi a little bit again, no spoilers. I want you all to listen to the episode. It's terrific. Um, PJ, have you been able to eat sushi since you started reporting this story in late November? I uh, I haven't been able to eat sushi from the restaurant that I was ordering it from. Um, the the we so the story was like I there was a there was a takeout sushi place that I was ordering from really frequently. It was making me ill very consistently. I kept ordering from it, which is uh, yeah a, a problem for another day. I, I was wondering about that, but we won't even get to that. <laughs> You're admitting these things, and <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and and eventually, I began to suspect that the I could have been a victim of of what is sometimes called um, seafood fraud or, or fish substitution. But people will or or seafood mislabeling. People will sell one fish as another, and in particular, in some sushi restaurants, there's this like problem of people selling what they sometimes call white tuna, but which is actually Escalar or Walu Walu or the X-Lax fish. Yeah, the X-Lax can... fish. And you'll never, ever, ever order Escalar ever again if you listen to this episode. Yes, I think it is a cautionary tale of what it can do to one's uh, GI system. But we, like, investigated the yeah. fish. We DNA tested the fish. Um, I've still been eating sushi. I, like, I, I my mind works in an unusual way, uh, which is that I tend to not notice anything <laughs> and then notice one thing a lot and pay a lot of attention to it and then go back to oblivion. And so... It's kind of great. It's like a journalistic trait. 
It is a bit of a because you have to move on. Yes. from topics, but you have to like nail the one and go super deep and yes. then put out the thing, article, podcast, whatever. Yeah, and I enjoy I enjoy thinking really really hard yeah. about something for a month and then almost never thinking about it again, uh, which is a weird. It's. It's like getting to be a tourist in a bunch of other people's interests. So fish fraud is rampant. I think 70, 80% of the seafood that's sold in America has some kind of fraud involved. It seems like that was a, a metric that came out of the reporting. Do you feel like it's going to get better? Do you think that we are going to turn the corner on this fraud? Or do you think that's actually in, like embedded in the way seafood is sold? I mean, it's hard. We, we, the interview we did, um, we were talking to this academic who had tested a lot of fish and he'd found this very rampant fraud. And one of the things he said is that it's hard because seafood, it's like, we want it to appear on store shelves in a totally reliable way, the way like agriculture foods do, but it's, it's a wild thing. And so we want consistency from something that by definition really kind of shouldn't be consistent. So it's part of the problem. The other problem is just seafood in a way that you more often see in illicit markets like drugs. It, it just, there's a really long supply chain. It passes from one person to another. And every one of those steps is uh, opportunity for adulteration. Right. And, and then you get the end of it, the, the line, you get to the market and then there's just like vague labeling. Yes. There's very vague labeling. And that's actually been this academic we spoke to, uh, Dr. Peter Marco, one of the things he said was, so he'll publish these studies where he'll test, you know, um, red snapper, which is a commonly substituted fish. And whenever his studies get attention, the only real change he's noticed is that some seafood sellers will now just label things more vaguely <laughs> right. so that they're not committing fraud. They're just doing marketing. It's like, just hedgier. Yeah. Yes. He's seen fish just sold as fish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, truly, that's the best way to hedge any any weird bet or avoid any kind of lawsuits. Yeah. A great, terrific episode. Listen to it. And and briefly, you did an episode about airline coffee, and it definitely got some press and was passed around. A great episode, too. What do we need to know about airline coffee? So we this episode we did, um, we were investigating a rumor a friend of mine had told me, which was that he said he'd heard that under no circumstances should anyone drink coffee on airplanes because... According to him, and according to a bunch of um, flight attendants he'd spoken to, the tanks that hold the water for the coffee, like the tanks in the body of the plane, are very rarely cleaned and could be vectors for bacteria. Um, so we did a very, very thorough investigation mm -hmm. into this. Um, and it was interesting. It was sort of ended up being a story about rumors in a funny way because it was – how do I put this? So there was a point in time where you certainly should not have had coffee on airplanes. And that point in time was much more recent than you'd think. There was a homeschooled 13-year-old science student who in 2002, I believe, tested airline water and had all sorts of really troubling bacteria in it. The Wall Street Journal picked up that story. They did more studies. More stuff was found. The government kind of got involved. There's been some regulation. Um, I think that the water on airplanes, both in um, coffee and otherwise, is much safer than it was in the past. What is true, hmm. one, the tanks can only be cleaned once a year, but the water has to be tested much more frequently. Two, almost no one we spoke to who studied this drinks the coffee on the planes. Like, they all said, yes, it's much safer. No, we don't. I ain't touching it. that shit. I ain't touching <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, I ain't touching the water. That's why they have the little water bottles that you can buy like for $6 on yes. planes. Yeah. Um, I'll link to that well in the show notes. Okay. Zooming out a little bit, 
Um, this struck with me uh, in a recent episode. I'm, I, I'm not sure which one, but quote, refining your taste is not always for a net good. What does that mean, PJ? This is something I think about a lot. And I think about it with coffee, actually. It's like, if you're somebody who, and this is often me, who kind of like moves through the world in a relatively oblivious way, everything is kind of fine. You know what I mean? Like a hamburger is a hamburger. You notice if it's cold. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you become someone who has like more sophisticated or more refined or more intentional taste, yeah, you get to appreciate what is good about something that's good at a higher level, perhaps. Maybe you're, of the experiences you have, the great ones are better. Um, But you also just spend a lot of time being disappointed. You know, I was with with my friend Calva when we were out doing this coffee tour. His wife uh, runs Pies and Thighs. Mm. And so he Oh, legendary place. Legendary place. Oh, my gosh. Very great New York City. Oh, I'd love to meet his wife one day. You should. Let's link. She's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so he knows food. He knows food really well. And so we had a pastry that day. And he's chewing it. And he pauses and he says, this was baked yesterday. And I was like, how do you know? He pulls out the pastry and he shows me. And there's a... There's one stale crumb inside of the bite. And he's like, that's a telltale sign this was baked yesterday. I would not know that. Mm. And I'm not totally sure I want to know that. Like, not because it's, like, gross to have a pastry from the day before, but I just mean, like, I feel like if you don't refine your taste, you live in a totally fine, happy middle. You don't have the peak experiences. But once you refine your taste, you spend a lot of time just being disappointed in order to sometimes be really happy. I mean... It's like with drug use, like chasing the dragon. Totally. Once you like figured out like, oh my God, I had the best coffee in Copenhagen at that one market, you know, at that one day. And you're like, the rest of the coffees, it's just heinous. Yes, yes. And it really does remind me of drug users. It's like you are pursuing something that you will either never find or find fleetingly or found once. And maybe the answer, honestly, like if you were to defend here on this podcast, the concept (laughs) of taste, maybe the answer is that the pursuit itself is the reward that like this morning I was like trying to extract this coffee the proper way. And like, it was, it took me 45 minutes of trying to have coffee. I, cause I screwed up the first. So you're on a journey, PJ. I'm very much on a journey. I'm glad we're capturing this. You're (laughs) on a journey. So the first time I was like, I was supposed to grind the beans in a way that was coarse, but I don't have the new grinder, so I was using like just like a whirly blade guy. Yeah. Oh, you were using a, a, like a like an actual blade grinder, yes. like the ones that make the heinous sound. Yes. Oh, yeah. And can't, uh, can't use that. And I it was I was trying for it to be coarse, and so I ended up trying to make a cup of coffee at a French press that had like actual yeah. beans in it. Um, so that tasted like sour, hot juice. It was really bad. Yeah. Um, the second time went a little bit better, um, but I did have a thing where I was like. The Nespresso used to do it in 30 seconds. I'm not yet at replacement level Nespresso quality with this journey I'm on. Am I happy that I'm doing this? And what I told myself, and I think I believe this, is that having something to think about was fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like learning something. And and I did. I felt like it made me think of Breaking Bad. I was like trying to get <laughs> like a higher purity level of this yeah. coffee. and But yeah, I think you're signing up for a less happy life, perhaps, but a more interesting one. I love the sentiment about the journey. I think about it a lot when visiting restaurants, which we write about and I judge. Um, I feel it's about the experience getting to the end result, which is the food you're eating. Yeah. And and really, the the metrics are not just good or bad food. It's like walking in the space and enjoying the the music or the aromas. Like that's part of it. And I think we focus so much on like the quality of the food on the plate and that's just not life. Yeah. And like, I think 
I think sometimes the other thing that can be nice about if what we're celebrating is appreciation is just the feeling of, I don't know how to say this exactly, but being in a place where everything is just so, where everything's been done correctly and where because you've looked for that experience enough, you can just appreciate the just so-ness at a deeper level. You know what I mean? There's this um, dessert place called uh, Chicalicious in the, uh, it's East Village, I think. Yeah, there's one in the East Village. I think they had a few locations back in the day, but yeah. But it's it's this woman and her husband, it's really small. Um, And there's a way that they move around that restaurant that's so, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like being inside a clock. You know what I mean? And it's not just, the food's really good, but it's like, there's a precision and a cleanliness and it's like you're watching a dance. And I feel like when we go there, it's like, I just enjoy watching that dance. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if the if the the, the dessert is is not your favorite. No, and it's oh. like the dessert's good. It's just like I've noticed that I'm going there for yeah. the experience of watching someone do something well. I think it's true connoisseurship when you realize that. To be honest, so I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. Thank you. Um, not to get in the weeds, we tease at the top, but I mean, we do podcasts here. You do podcasts. What the fuck's up with the industry? It seems really challenging right now. It is very challenging. How how weedsy do you want to go? Well, we have probably five minutes. So let's just say, <laughs> I mean, medium your show- weeds? Yeah, medium weeds. Yeah, like, we'll go shin length and eat weeds. I think you um, run a successful show. You were at Reply All at WNYC. There's a boom in podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Now the boom is, is passed. Um, do you think that uh, the podcast as a medium can be sustainable? I think podcasting as a medium can certainly be sustainable. I think that whether the thing I love, which is sort of podcasting that's trying to, at least as part of its mission, it's trying to do what journalism, it's trying to be journalistic. It's trying to do what like great magazines do in some form that's sustainable. I, I think it doesn't look like the high watermark. Um, I don't think it has to be as bad as it is right now, but I think like, one of the things that most of the people I talk to are saying is, look, during the boom when ad rates were so high, this was an ad-supported medium, the advertisers backed out as the economy sort of flatlined briefly, um, and there was a lot of damage when that happened. And so if we're going to do this, we just have to be a bit more creative about funding models. Like podcasting might be at least partially a subscription business, at least for the kinds of podcasting that it's not the only thing I like, but the kind of thing that I know how to make and, and like making. I think like it's very interesting to be doing it right now. It's interesting to be doing it without a clear sense that it's safe, um, but <laughs> with an instinct that I know there's an audience for the stuff we make. I know people like it. And so my <laughs> hope is that if there's an audience, there's a future. It's just I'm watching good things get destroyed, and that's really... It's very sad and discouraging. I think with the audience, to add to what you're saying, you know, we hear it from our listeners on this show, and thank you for for writing it. I I get messages on Instagram, like, daily when I post interviews. The engagement is off the charts. Yeah. use, like, a weird boardroom. Like, I have done all forms of media, television, print. I've done, you know, books. The engagement for podcasts is different. Yeah. Your your listeners, they want to continue on your journey, which a magazine article doesn't do. So to me, that means, like, somebody is going to be able to monetize that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the somebody was saying this. I was listening to um, Peter Kafka had, like, a bunch of, it was, like, Jonah Peretti and Nick Denton and, like, sort of all, a bunch of geniuses. I remember that. that. That was, like, for that book that, that uh, ben, ben Smith wrote. wrote. Yeah. yeah. And somebody on that, it might have been Denton, said that, you know, when you look at a form of media, 
advertising tends to support media that reaches a lot of people who don't particularly care about the specific who wrote this article, where they're finding it. It's just like it's grabbing people off the street. Subscriptions are for models where it's like, no, 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 I love this thing. I have a relationship with this thing. The funny thing about podcasting is it's a medium that people have a deep relationship with. Like if you listen to a show, you spend hours with somebody and you know them, they end up revealing themselves in ways that they don't even intend to. That sounds like subscriptions, but podcasting was built on advertising. And so I don't, my inclination is you're going to have to ask people to pay in some capacity, which is just funny because the thing we thought we were reinventing was public media. Mm -hmm. And that is the public media model. The it's public the, media model. Yeah, it's the call out to your listeners and have them pay five bucks a month. Yeah. So that's what I suspect. Um, but I've been wrong a lot in media about what's <laughs> going to happen next. Yeah. And so I have a decent amount of humility about my forecasting abilities. But that's like, when I talk to people, they're like, yep, we're going to, we're going to be asking listeners I'm for money. I'm polling for you guys and I'll be the first to subscribe. I hope you do it. Thank you. Um, do you get voice recognized at restaurants? I do sometimes because I'm also loud. Um, and <laughs> You've I have got a, the laugh too, come on. You're, I have a weird laugh. I have a weird, not weird, it's laugh. like your laugh. I mean, yeah. no, we listen to your show, it's like your laugh. Yes, I do sometimes get voice recognized at restaurants. Um, and, uh, it's funny because what I can see happen is every, it's not that often, but someone will sort of like their ear will kind of cock like a, yeah. like a basset hound and they'll sort of look and then I'll watch them because no one knows what podcasters look like. <laughs> I'll watch them bring up their phone, Google image search, look at my picture on their phone, look at me and be like, okay. And then they're happy. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's sweet. That's sweet. It's totally sweet. I'm sure when you, when they actually say something, it's a sweet interaction with you. Yeah. PGM, this is taste. We ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Yes. The best fruit. Oh, uh, watermelon. Okay. Uh, is it like a, a short season or do you, will you eat it whenever? Short season, short season, short season. Definitely short season. The worst vegetable. Zucchini. Zucchini is a vegetable, right? It truly is the worst vegetable. It's both the worst vegetable and it looks like cucumber, which is totally <laughs> like uh, inoffensive, can be made very good. Like it's, it's like an imposter. Good call there. The best dessert. Oh, um, I like dessert so much. Um, okay, lately for me, it's been, there's this fruit leather that they make in India that is, um, mm. it's mango. They make it from like juicing mangoes and it's, it's, you know, it's like what would be in an American fruit roll up, but they're these little squares and they're much more concentrated and thick and they're very good. Oh, do you get it like online Amazon or do you go to like a market? And My partner brings them back from India when she visits her family. I'm like, my mouth is watering. It's really, I will try to source you some. They're really. Send me a link. Yes. Your favorite New York City restaurant right now? Oh, um, Sweeney's. Yeah, we covered. Is there yeah. anything else that pops in? I'm trying to think outside of Brooklyn, honestly, because I spend so much time eating in Brooklyn. Um, Suther's pretty good. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Your favorite American fast food chain? Taco Bell, I think. Okay. Although I try to order it. It's really heat is like a really important ingredient in fast food. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And and honestly, tacos to go. No, never just, a good idea. It's not. It looks like a portable food. It suggests to you that it's a portable food. It is not a portable food. Are you feeling that fast food plus apps is like becoming this big thing? Like I feel like I mean it's real that people are using apps to order fast food, not yeah. just DoorDash, but like the actual apps for McDonald's, for Popeye's, for Blink. Blink. Totally. Well, there was an argument online, not to get into it, but um, two writers who I follow were arguing about whatever. There's been this thing on progressive media 
where <laughs> people are arguing about inflation and they're arguing somehow that turned into a fight about how whether people are going to vote for Republicans oh my because gosh. of how expensive McDonald's is. And one of the writers was like, well, I ordered McDonald's on DoorDash and I noticed the price was really high. And I was like, wait, ordered McDonald's on DoorDash. And really my takeaway was I should at least once try ordering fast food in my house. It feels like a real giving in in a way that I hadn't yet. Um, so I did. I ordered Taco Bell. Oh. I regret it. I think yeah. it should be eaten in person, if if at all. Always. All the menu. I think the bean burrito, seven layers, and you buy the menu, like within two minutes. Yes. But the apps are interesting, and I think they are, you know, a question about affordability of food, and, like, McDonald's is, like, getting up there. It is, yeah. it is surprising. There's a there's a McDonald's not too far from my home and a Burger King right near work that I do go to, and I'm always surprised. I, at first, I thought it was because I was – I kept ordering the Impossible Whopper, and then I tried oh. it with the regular Whopper, also expensive. Yeah. Another conversation. I think I used to live in Carroll Gardens for 17 years. I think I know the McDonald's. Yes. I've I been there many times. Yes. Um, definitely a fan. Um, couple more. Favorite cookbook of all time? Anthony in the Kitchen, because it's by Anthony was my roommate, Anthony Porowski from Queer Eye. Yeah. And a lot of the recipes in that cookbook were recipes he taught me when we were oh. roommates. So there's like a chili in there that really like it's a very fond memory um from my early and mid twenties that I still make. I love that cookbook. Anna Hiesel, my old colleague, wrote a nice profile of, of him for that. That's awesome. So that's cool. What about a recent cookbook discovery of yours? Ooh, um, this is I'm this is, I'm really revealing my taste to not be that uh, avant garde when it comes to this stuff. I've been so I've been cooking more lately. I've been the last American to discover how great Alison Roman is. Um, and then the other person who again is not like a newer cutting edge person is Marcella Hazan. Yeah, um, just because her stuff is so good. I, I just like anything that is like simple and powerful when it comes to food because again i'm like sort of a baby wandering into this and like her that that really famous the um, 40 clove yeah yeah yeah, pasta yeah. Sauce, it's yeah. so it's good good and people are surprised anytime i do anything like that um it's like if an animal started speaking like everyone's shocked <laughs> so i i appreciate that book. they're like we assume you know the canon of <laughs> italian cookbooks and marcella is at the top yeah that's such a turnoff when people get like of course i know about marcella yeah yeah be a little more reminded. be like be cool with your friends if they have just heard about Alison roman it's fine well i'm lucky i have friends who know a lot but are not unkind about sharing great. that knowledge with me those are great friends those are the friends you gotta keep close. yeah i love that a few more your favorite city outside america to visit for food tokyo yeah yeah can't it's argue just like ramen and sushi can't argue there's like fourteen thousand restaurants there's fourteen thirty thousand restaurants i think there's actually thirty five thousand restaurants in tokyo that's so beautiful i think i could google that quickly but i, I can't do it but it's around that it's a very 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 cool city a couple more a cuisine you want to learn more about british cuisine yeah i was talking cool. to a friend about how uh we were talking about whether there was bad food and i was like british food and she was like have you ever had it and i was like no she's like do you know what you're talking about i was like no she's like you should try it you should try this thing that you formed an opinion on so now I want to try British food. I think it's multitudes, it's seafood, it's regional cuisine. Yeah. No, we talk about it a lot on the show. There's been some amazing British chefs on our show. Love that. Hope you're going that journey to like coffee. Yes. Your British food journey. Last one, your favorite sandwich. Oh, God. Muffaletta? Oh. Um, that's pretty good, right? Uh, duh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Like tampanade, if you go a little heavy, it can be a little bit rough. But yes. What makes a good muffaletta? Honestly, it's like... Everything for sandwiches for me is bread. Everything is like the just that first like introduction, whether like the it has that sort of like crispy shell into pillowy dough. So I would say bread and honestly the tapenade. Like I'd like a sandwich that's like a 
salty, briny, pickly, olivey situation. Honestly, that or literally like any Italian sub. There used to be this place on, it was called Graham Avenue Meats and Deli, I think. It was in Williamsburg. Uh It was apparently, according to some local tabloid, mob connected and like perhaps a front. Um, It's shut down, but they had amazing sandwiches. And I remember going just for the Italian subs and afterwards feeling like, if you guys were, if this was a front for you to do crimes, you should have just done the sandwiches. The sandwiches were really good. <laughs> you better margin than like the the, the heroin trade. I would think so at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. The Williamsburg sandwich trade. The margins must be much better. doing better. Man, I love it so much. There's a pop up that that occasionally happens. A muffle lot of pop up from Anthony Falco. Oh, I had no in idea. New York. So definitely follow that guy. Yes, all good. PJ vote. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining. This is taste. Thank you for having me. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.